Well, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you take them out and go to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 is where we are this morning, and as you are turning there, uh, I do want to take a, just a brief moment to say a big thank you to all of you who uh, participated and volunteered in our downtown trunk or treat, and so thank you for that, and thank you to Josh Wills for uh, heading that up. Can we just give him and all the volunteers a round of applause? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. The weather didn't cooperate too well with us, but that is okay. Uh, the main thing is, is we're getting to the community, and we want to let people know that Jesus Christ loves them. Amen? Amen. Well, Daniel chapter 6, where we are looking at uh, Daniel in the lion's den. This is when Daniel was thrown into a pit, just like my Texas Tech Red Raiders were last night against Oklahoma. Thrown into a pit. Just a pit of despair. Well, the good thing about Daniel chapter 6 is we can learn how to get out of the pit. Amen? And so we're going to pray for my beloved Red Raiders today. I'm just joking. I'm not going to, all right? Because that prayer remains to be unanswered. (laughs) Daniel chapter 6. This is the last section of the first part of Daniel. There's two parts of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 through 6. Um, which is the historical narrative. It's the true stories that happened uh, to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's the story of the Israelites who have been in exile um, in Babylon for for 70 years, and and chapter 6 ends the first part of Daniel. Uh, Daniel 7 through 12 is the second part. We will begin that next week, and that, that's going to deal with the, the end times, and it's going to be um, a prophetic. And so, as we conclude the first section of Daniel, here in Daniel chapter 6, we are going to look at probably uh, the, the best known and, and one of the best loved stories in all of the Bible. Amen? I mean, this is little children love this Sunday school teachers love to tell this story. Whenever I read Daniel chapter 6, I always go back to my Sunday school class at Second Baptist Church in La Mesa, Texas with the felt boards. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The felt boards. And I always thought thought this was strange in the felt boards that, that the lions look rather tame. They look like kitty cats, right? And Daniel looks pretty young and pretty calm to be in a lion's den. I've always thought that was a little strange because because really when we look here in Daniel chapter 6, here's what we're going to see is that Daniel's really not a very young man at this point. And uh, he is actually quite, y'all say the word, he's old. He is quite old, but Daniel chapter 6, just a great story And for thousands of years, this story has brought great encouragement to all the believers who have gone before us and who all the believers are going to come after us. This is going to bring great encouragement to those. This story is filled with unexpected twists and and unexpected turns and and praise the Lord, the good guy wins in the end and the the bad guys, oh, I love this about the bad guys in Daniel chapter 6, they are torn apart by the lions. Isn't that good? Perfect on a Halloween weekend. That's all that I know. But but Daniel chapter 6, it takes place at the end 
of Daniel's life. Now, here's three facts that I want you to know about this, about Daniel chapter 6. Just kind of get you uh, to understand where we are, and then we're going to walk through this book, this chapter, and we're going to make the application as we go. Here's, here's, here's three facts I want you to know. These aren't on the screen, but you might want to write these down just to help you understand the context here. And I've already mentioned this, but number one, Daniel is a very old man at this point. He's an old man. We know when Daniel, when we started this book in Daniel chapter 1, we know and scholars believe that Daniel is 12 to 15 years old, and he has spent his entire life in exile. He has spent his entire life without his family, has been separated from his family. He has been physically harmed, physically changed against his will, and he has spent his entire life serving in the courts of pagan rulers. Now, at this point, he is about 80, 85 years old. Even some scholars have said he is 90 years old. And what, 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 I, what I love about this story coming at the end of Daniel's life, and I, and I don't want us to miss over this, and if you're under the age of 80, I want you to listen to this, okay? Because I think it's truly important. I really think this is one of the reasons why this story is in uh, this uh, book. It's because of this. Uh, I believe that Daniel, nearing the end of his life, there were some who came behind him, some younger ones who thought, you know, this man Daniel really doesn't know what life is all about. He's too old. Does that make sense with anybody? And so I think this story, part of it is in it because, because there's a younger generation who, you know what, I really don't need to think about, about this older man. He's, he's, he really doesn't know what's going on in my life. Well, I believe that one of the reasons this story is in the Bible is because of this. This is a reminder to us that we need the generations before us to remain faithful to God so that those who are behind them know how to do it. Amen? Older people, we need you. We need you. Younger people, we need those who are older than us, and we need to meet together in groups, in worship together, because listen, when we, as, when we are a multi-generational congregation, when we are intergenerational, means we're from young to old, what happens is the older ones show us how we are to truly worship. If we remove them from the equation, we are going to make some very, very bad mistakes. And I believe this is one of the reasons this story is in here. A second reason that I believe this story is in here, and, and really you need to understand the context again, is this. Daniel chapter 6, this takes place near the 70th year of captivity. Does that ring a bell with anybody? This is the 70th year. Give a, give a year, take a year or two on either side of it. This is the 70th year of captivity, which means if you are an Israelite, if you're a Jewish person, and you're reading this story, and you know the timeline, this is about 539, 538 B.C. is when this is, when this is taking place. You know, if you know Scripture, you know that the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah said, after 70 years of captivity, you will be going back to your promised land. So this is exciting to the Jewish reader. I mean, this is good news. We are going home. And so at the end of Daniel chapter 6, in your mind, you might want to write this in your Bible as well, write this in your notes. After Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 6, you need to think of this. Think of the book of Esther and think of the book of Ezra. 
Because those two books are the story of the Israelite people. They are returning out of captivity, and they're going back to the promised land. But first, Daniel chapter 6. Now, let me give you the third fact that we need to understand as we go through this great, great chapter, one of the great chapters in all of the Bible. When Daniel writes this, I believe that Daniel is writing to encourage those in exile to remain faithful. This is a story of encouragement. This is a story that that those who are exiles, and by the way, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are exiles on this earth. This is not our home. Amen? This is not our home. We are away from our home. Our home is up in heaven. We are in exile down here, and we are to remain faithful to the one true living God. This is what Darius says at the end of this chapter. He says that we need to give honor and praise to the one true living God. So this story is a reminder that we need to remain faithful while we are in exile. We remain faithful to the one true living God. The father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one true living God. And we are to remain faithful to him because we know that he is able to deliver us from the pits of this life. Amen? There is so much more to this chapter than the lion's den. This is an incredible chapter. So let's pick up in verse number one, and let's find encouragement to remain faithful to the one true living God and trust that he is able to deliver us from Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Amen? Just want to see if you're still awake with me this morning. Just had to throw that in there, all right? Here we go. I want you to write this down as we look at verse number one. Write this down. This is the position of Daniel, a godly man in an ungodly government. A godly man in an ungodly government. As this chapter begins, we see that Daniel is about to be promoted to a high office. Uh, Evidently or obviously, Darius the Mede thinks highly of Daniel and wants to make him second in command. Well, this causes some heartache from some other men. Let's read. Follow along verse number one. And it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of which Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. So stop there for just a second. What we see here in verses 1 and 2, we see a change of government. Isn't it crazy? Just think for just a second. That when we began this process, I had no intentions or no ideas, this wasn't my plan, it's God's plan, that we would be on Daniel chapter 6, the Sunday before what? Isn't God good? Wow. I was just overwhelmed as I was preparing this this week in this thought, because here in verse 1 and 2, we see a change in government. Somebody is out of office. And somebody new is now in office. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this government change that took place here in verses 1 and 2. The previous regime, this was Belshazzar, this is Nebuchadnezzar, this is the Babylonians. Uh, They were a monarchy, really they were a dictatorship. And in their dictatorship, they had very little accountability. 
If you go back, look at Daniel 2 and Daniel 3, you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar could do whatever he wanted to do. If he liked you, he approved you. If he did not like you, he killed you. There was little accountability. Now, I want you to hear this. This is historical right here in verses 1 and 2. What we see is one of the very first steps in history to move from a dictatorship to move to some type of government that has checks and balances. It's right here. This is one of the very first movements to move away from a dictator to move to where where we're giving some other people some ownership. Now, let me ask you a question because I think this question is very appropriate for our time today. There's a change in government here in verses 1 and 2. Now, here's the question. Do you think it is possible? Do you think it is possible to change the political system without changing the theological and moral system and get different results. Let me ask you that question again because that some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, I, 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 I don't know. Do you think you can change the political system without changing the theological and absolute moral system and get different results? You can not. You cannot change a political system and expect different results if you do not change the theological and absolute moral system. Listen, a a, a change from monarchy here in verses 1 and 2, a change from monarchy, a a dictatorship to, to a senate, without theological, without a change in the theological values, it is the same results are going to take place. As a matter of fact, here in chapter 6, it actually gets worse. Let me step out on a limb here, and I want to say this. Listen, I believe with all my heart that democracy is great. Amen? This side said amen. This side believe in dictatorships. That's fantastic. That's great. I believe that democracy is, is a great thing. It's what has brought us our freedom to worship. I, I, I'm so thankful for that. But I believe this with all of my heart, that even though democracy is great, but if we remove the theological and absolute moral system from our government, democracy can be just as bad as anything else. Democracy, or the republic, which we are a republic, we do not have God's favor Because we are a republic. We have favor because our nation was grounded on theological and absolute morals that come from God's word. That's where our favor has come from. It's not because of our democracy, although praise God for that, and that's what I desire, and that's what I want over socialism, but the reason God's favor has poured down on the United States is not because of the political system. It's because we as a country, when we were founded, we grounded ourselves in the one true living God. So if you haven't voted this week, You need to vote, or if you haven't voted yet and you're going to vote this week, you need to vote for the theological and absolute values that line up with the one true living God. I will not tell you what color you need to vote for, red. I mean, I'm just telling you, I'm not telling you what color. It's a joke. It's a joke. Listen. 
If there's a change in a political system without the change or the upholding of the current theological values, we're in a heap of trouble. It doesn't matter. Red or blue does not matter. It doesn't matter. Now, what happens? What happens when you change a political system, but you do not change the theological and absolute moral values? What happens? Let's read on. Verse 3, then... Whenever you read God's Word and you come to an expression of time like this one, the word then, you need to find out what's it referencing to. You have to always go back. So we see the word then, so we have a political change. Now watch what happens. A political change. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself. Uh, This word distinguishing, it's the Aramaic word yatir. Y-A-T-T-I-R. Um, it's, it's the uh, Aramaic word yatir, which means to shine like a bright star. Isn't that good? Then, political change, then Daniel began to distinguish him, himself. He shone like a bright star among the commissioners and saved traps. What does it say about those fellows? The commissioners and saved traps, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the, clean, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. I want you to underline or, or highlight that word extraordinary. Uh, extraordinary. It means, it means to, be, to be excellent. It means to be, it means to be superior. It is the same a word that is used to describe Nebuchadnezzar's dream and statue in chapter 2 when it says, this statue was a large, extraordinary, and had great splendor. It means this thing is, it stands out above the rest. And so the Aramaic phrase for extraordinary, it literally means, it carries with this, this idea that when that when everything is said and done he will remain so let's take a step back from that so if they're using this uh, this aramaic word extraordinary which means he will remain right here in verse number three you see a little prophetic statement to about what's going to happen to daniel because it says here in verse number three he had an extraordinary spirit you wipe everything away he is going to remain this spirit is going to remain daniel's going to remain this is a foreshadowing of what's going to take place here in the next couple of verses that daniel's going to be thrown into the lion's den but what he will what remain why because he is extraordinary wow look at verse four is anybody getting excited because I'm getting so excited, I may have to take my jacket off today. Just watch out. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Because here we now have a group of people who are nervous. Write this down. This is the plot against Daniel. This is the plot against Daniel. As a matter of fact, I want to give you a couple of words that you can write down about this word a plot in this group. It is an angry, envious mob. And I'll explain that to you in just a second. Verse 4. Then the commissioners and satraps, they began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel. The word find means they are literally digging. They're digging something up. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard of governmental affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Right in the margin of your Bible. The United States, 2020, the year of accusation and corruption. Wow. 
Wow. Continue verse 4. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Verse 5. Then these men said, we cannot find any ground of accusation against this Daniel. Wow. These men are upset that a godly man is being rightly recognized. And there's, there's no wonder why they are nervous. As they, as they dug up and they tried to find all of these things against Daniel, here's what they discovered, and our text tells us what they discovered. There's three things that our text tells us that they discovered about Daniel. Number one, he was faithful in his duties. Meaning this, he worked and he worked hard. Did you know that working and working hard is a characteristic trait of a believer in Jesus Christ? Did you know that? As believers, we work and we work hard. We're not lazy. We're not slothful. We work hard. Daniel gives us that example. Then they find that he was faultless in his his character. He has integrity. He, he does what he says he does, and, and he's, he's the same person uh, in public as he is in private. And what we'll see later is that these angry men, they, are, uh, they, they see that, that Daniel is, is fervent in his prayers. And they see this. Now, I want you to write this in your notes. Write, this, write these three words down. Faithful, faultless, and fervent. Write those down. Faithful, faultless, and fervent. Now, I want you to write those down because I believe this. That those three marks of godliness can be seen by unbelievers. They can be seen by unbelievers. Listen, the people who you work with, they're watching you. Students, you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Other students are watching you. People are watching you, and they want to know. They will look. They want to find something on you. That's why we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a higher living. We have a higher standard of living. We want to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, these men are angry. So they concoct a trap. They are furious. They can't stand it. Look at verse number 6. Then these commissioners and save traps came by agreement. Now, I want you to underline that phrase, came by agreement. That phrase is used three different times in Daniel chapter 6. Now, that phrase came by agreement. Number one, it is a lie. Amen? Who's not in those meetings? Look at your neighbor and say, Daniel. Daniel's not in those meetings. And so the satraps and the commissioners are coming to the king, and they said, oh, king, everybody has met together. Lion. Now, here's what you need to know about this phrase came by agreement. In the Aramaic, this is incredible. In the Aramaic, the, the phrase came by agreement literally means a chaotic protest. A chaotic protest. Another definition is it's a mob. That's a drop-the-mic moment right there, isn't it? Here in 2020? Oh, King, everybody's in this together. They're not coming peacefully. 
They're angry. They're furious. They're ungodly. And there is a desire within them that is rising within our culture today that we are angry at the godly. Scripture says in the end times that right will be called wrong and wrong will be called right. We see this here in Daniel chapter 6. Verse 6, they say to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. Verse 7, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together. By the way, are you getting a picture? Are, Are you starting to get a picture? Are you starting to get a picture of what's happening? And the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, here's what we want to see right here. First of all, this is a picture. this, This is a picture of a very weak king who has a group of people who are promoting their agenda and using him as a puppet. I can't make this stuff up. Do you get the picture? Two of you get it. This here, right out in verse number seven, and get it. And understand this because I believe that this is happening today. This is an unholy conspiracy. This is flagrant falsehood. And they are setting the stage just to trap the believer. Here's something we need to know about the Medes and the Persians. When you study history... The Medes and the Persians actually worshipped the fire god. That's why they don't throw Daniel into the fire, because that would, that would be like an offering to the fire god. No, 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 they're not doing that. But besides this fire god, the Medes and the Persians could care less about religion. They don't care. They, they don't care about it. The Babylonians really didn't care about religion. And so what we see here in Daniel uh, uh, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, what we see is we see cultures who do not care about a religion, namely the one true living God, and they have a free-for-all, they head for disaster. How many of you have ever heard of the name Francis Schaeffer? This illustration is going to work wonderful then because uh, I counted seven hands just now. So, Francis Schaeffer, a great theologian and apologist who has since passed on, but great, he had a unique ability to exegete scripture along with the culture. And he was able just to just speak truth into it. He said this, and I believe this is the case here in chapter six, and I believe it's in our world today. He said this when the culture rejects the law, 
meaning the law of God. When a culture rejects the law, then the culture becomes the law. Right here. Let me ask you a question. Are we there yet today in 2020? Yes, we are. Look at verse 8. These men who are trying to trap the godly say this to the king. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document. Do it now so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. And this is exactly what King Darius did. And, and if you remember history, the law of the Medes and the Persians is, is famous in history. And here's the law of the Medes and Persians. If, if a king made a law, it could never be reversed. Even the king could not reverse it. And so if he had signed it into the law, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, once it was law, it could not be rescinded, it could not be revoked, and it could not be revealed, uh, repealed. And the king couldn't even do it himself. And so here in verses 6, 7, and 8, the, the, the satraps and the commissioners, they understand this, and they say to the king, don't just make this an edict, make it a law and write it and sign it. They want this done. And this weak king says, okay. He says, okay, I'll do it. And so in verse 9, he signs the document. I mean, these men are so desperate to get rid of Daniel that they pass, listen, they pass a national law just to hurt one guy. Oh, the depths that the ungodly will go to to destroy the righteous. Anybody with me this morning? Are y'all with me this morning? So here's the question of Daniel chapter 6. Here, here's the question, right? And it's for us as the righteous today as well. What do you do when you discover that your enemies have, pa have passed a law and it's aimed at one person or one group and you are that person or you are that group, what do you do? You have a bullseye on your shirt, on your back. What do you do? Because how you respond tells a great deal about your character. Now, let, me, let me say this quickly. Tuesday, national election, local election. And I'm speaking this to this congregation that God has given me to be the under-shepherd to. But I'm also speaking to anybody who's listening through our Facebook page or our website. How we respond Tuesday says a great deal about our character as believers in Jesus Christ. I don't know the outcome this coming Tuesday. I don't know. But I know this. God is in control. And as believers in Jesus Christ, and as your pastor, I say this. That if Donald Trump is re-elected, we will collectively say, praise the Lord. If Joe Biden is elected president, collectively we will say, 
praise the Lord. Why do we say those things? Because we do not serve a finite man. We serve the one true living God. Tomorrow, from 5 to 7 p.m., the sanctuary doors are going to open. I'm going to open the sanctuary doors. If anybody wants to come in to pray, we're going to pray for the election. We'll be here. It's a time for the altar to be open, time for the seats to be open, so that you can come in, have a place to pray. We can beg God to do his will, and then when you leave this place, you will say this, may your will be done. We'll look at verse 10. I want you to write this phrase down. Write this down. This is Daniel's prayer life. We see his position. He's a godly man in an ungodly government. We see the plot against him. Now look at Daniel's prayer life because this is the secret, I believe, to his greatness. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, what document? That injunction, right? You cannot pray to any other God except to Darius. If you do, you're thrown into the lion's den. 30 days. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, when the votes were in, he entered his house. Not streets. He entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. So he's looking west. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Notice that last phrase, as he had been doing previously. So when the vote had come in, when the document had been signed, Daniel already knew what he was going to do because he had been doing it previously. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think if you prayed three times a day and you had a conversation with God three times a day for every day of your life for 80 plus years, do you think that you might be stronger in your faith? Do you think you might be less insecure? Do you think you might be a little bit more immune to the, to the disapproval of the people that, that maybe you would not fear rejection? Just maybe. I think a great point here that we look at the life of Daniel is this. The secret of standing strong is kneeling in prayer often. Listen, if we want to stand strong, we don't stand on our feet. We get on our knees. That's where it is. In success, in failure, in strength, in weaknesses, it's all the same. We get on our knees. In victories, we praise God. In, in, in losses, we, we praise God, but we get onto our knees. 
And the more we kneel in prayer, the stronger that we're going to stand when the heat is on our life. And so Daniel, in verse number 10, he, when he hears and, and knows that this document was signed, he goes straight into a conversation with God because that is his normal routine. He knows God, and he knows that God has been faithful to him in the past, and he knows that God is going to be faithful to him now and in the future. What a great hope. I can see why this brings great encouragement to the reader. That when the heat is on, you get on your knees. Why? Because you know what God's done in the past. He's going to do it again, and he's going to do it in the future. Can you imagine? I was just doing a little math this week, and I'm not great at math, but I have to use small numbers, right? But I just began to think, you know, three times a day, three times a day, if, if our church, First Baptist Church Brunswick, if three times a day, everybody in this congregation, three times a day, how many prayers would that be in a year? So, I, just to make me feel better, I went to the pre-COVID numbers, you know what I'm talking about? You didn't catch the humor in that one, thank you. I'm feeling very prideful right now. But if we just took the 600 that would come on a weekly basis, times three, 365, three three times a day, 365 times a year, that would be over 700,000 prayers that we would pray to God every year. That's a lot of prayers. Can you imagine if we began to lift up all of this, this orchestra of prayer to God and to see the roof of this place just, just explode with our prayers going up, which are like incense into the, into the nostrils of our Heavenly Father, and that He hears His people cry out, that it moves Him. It moves him. And so when, when the heat comes on in Daniel, when, he is, when, the, when the law has been made a law, it has come into existence, it cannot be revoked, Daniel has already made his decision. Do you know when he made it? Back in Daniel chapter 1. He made it in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. Folks, listen, we have to make up our minds before the heat comes on. Young people, you have to make up your minds now. You cannot wait to that moment to make that decision. You have to make up your moment. You have to make up your decision. Make up your mind now that you're going to stand for Christ right now before the heat comes on so that when the heat comes on, you stand firm in that decision. And Daniel just keeps doing what he's always been doing. One commentator said this, that remarked that Daniel's bedroom was the real lion's den. I thought that was great because that's where the battle was truly fought, that Daniel committed himself in prayer and he won the battle that mattered. And and when, when he won in his prayer room, his prayer closet, then the real lions were no problem at all. It's amazing. This is a miracle for sure that Daniel is praying and and that we see what the lions do, how God is going to shut their mouth here in just a few moments. Wow. So what do you do when the lions come calling for you? From our example here, from Daniel's example, we keep doing what we have been doing. You keep on living for Christ no matter what. Let Let me read this to you. 
Do y'all have 45 more minutes? That was not affirmative laugh right there. I can tell you that. That was like, uh, sure, pastor. In 1681, in 1681, a pastor theologian by the name of Richard Baxter. Um, I've read several of his books and just a great, uh, really a pastor to pastors. L- listen what he said, and this brings great comfort. And he said this, and this was convicting to me this week. He said this, Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I die or live. To love and serve thee is my share, and this thy grace must give. If life be long, I will be glad that I may long obey. If short, yet why should I be sad to soar to that endless day? Christ leads us through no darker rooms than he went through before. He that unto God's kingdom come must enter by this door. Come, Lord, when grace has made me meet thy blessed face to see. For if thy work on earth be sweet, what will thy glory be? My, mo- my knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim. But tis enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. Well, look at verses 11 through 15. Daniel has prayed. He's left it into the hands of God. In verses 11 and 15, (laughs) what I want to read, are you with me? What I want to read through 11 through 15 is that God quieted the mob. Are you with me? That's what I want to read. That everybody caught on, oh, this is just a game, and, and, and God takes care of it all. But listen to me, believer in Christ Jesus, that's not what happens here. The mob gets angrier. In verses 11 through 15, the mob goes back to the weak king and says, King, you have to keep your promise. You keep your promise. You promised us, king, Here's our plan. You go with it, king. This is the law of the Medes and Persians. And Daniel must go to the lion's den. We saw him praying. But inwardly, Darius is rooting for this this old man, Daniel. Look at verse number 16. Verse number 16, Darius, they, they cast Daniel into the lion's den. Now look what this ungodly, heathen king says to Daniel. Daniel! Your God, whom you constantly serve, he himself will deliver you. That came from an ungodly, atheistic king. What a testimony to the faith of Daniel, that even an unbeliever would recognize it. Well, verse 16 and verse 17, it tells us what happens. Daniel has been thrown into the lion's den which was a pit that was dug out in the ground and had, a, had an entrance on either side so the lions could come in, and then they put a stone over the top so that nobody could escape. Just a little side note. Do you know anybody else in the Bible who was put into a pit and covered with a stone? Whew. And so Daniel is thrown into this pit 
a godly man, for standing up for the one true living God. He is thrown into this pit, and in this pit, nobody came out alive. Nobody would come out alive, especially somebody over the age of 80. They are not coming out alive. Daniel was good as dead when he is thrown in. Well, look at verse number 18. Daniel's thrown in, then the king went off to his palace, and he spent the night fasting. It's amazing how the unbelievers fasting here, amen? Fasting and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. This king, King Darius, he could not sleep, he couldn't eat, he fasted, he, he couldn't watch TV. He, he couldn't do it. His, his stomach is, is churning because, because, because he knows. He knows that Daniel is, 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 is innocent. He knows it. He stays up all night. And the next morning, look at verse number 19. The next morning at the light of the very first dawn. Again, do you see the picture here? Who else arrives at the crack of dawn? The ladies run to the tomb at the crack of dawn. Because they want to find Jesus, but they get there and that stone is rolled away. But here, verse number 19, look at verse 19. The king arose at dawn at the break of day, and he went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said, Daniel, servant of the living God, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? What a great question. Now, when you're reading this, there is almost a dramatic pause between verse 20 and verse 21, right? Because you ask the question and you want to know. And finally, Daniel says, oh, king, live forever. Can you hear the cats purr? That's what he's saying right there. Can you hear them purring? He says, my God sent his angel. Again, does that bring to your mind something else in the New Testament? My God sent his angel. He rolled the stone away. Here in Daniel verse 22, my God sent his angel and he shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me in as much as I was found innocent. I have done no wrong, O king, and God has justified me. And, O king, I have committed no crime before you. Side note here, just think, notice that he, Daniel, is not even speaking about the, the wickedness of those other people. Does that make sense? That's God's business. It's not our business. It's not our business. It's God's business. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. Verse 23, so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and I love this, no injury whatever was found upon him. One translation says this, there was not even a scratch on him. If you have cats, you know that everybody who has cats has scratches on them. Nothing on him. This is what we call a miracle. Now here's the question, and this is how we close. Why did God step in and rescue Daniel from the lion's den? Why did he do that? Look at the end of verse 23. I'm going to read that entire verse and look at the last phrase. Then the king was pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because, let's say that 
Let's say that last phrase together. Ready? Here we go. He had trusted in his God. Wow. Do you get it? Do you get it? Why did God save him? Because he had trusted in his God. I know this, folks, that if God can deliver Daniel from the lion's den, and if God can raise his son Jesus from that empty grave, or from that grave, if God can do that, if God can save three men from the fire, if God can split the Red Sea, if God can cause fire to come down and burn up the offerings on uh, the prophets of Baal and Elijah, if God can do those things, I want you to listen to me. God can deliver you out of your pit today. He can do it. He can do it, and here's what he asks of you. Just trust me. Trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. Whatever pit you're in, just trust me. Pastor, you don't understand the pit that I'm in, and, and I don't. I don't, but I know one who does. And his name is the one true living God, and he simply says these words to you. Trust me, because I am able. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. Father, I pray that we as a people who may be in a pit, who may are about to fall into a pit, or we who are coming out of a pit, we all collectively say together, we trust you. And Father, I pray today that somebody in this room for the very first time would turn their eyes to you and to look upon you, to gaze upon your face and see how wonderful you are. May we trust you in all areas of our life because you are able. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.